Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, once more, fill us with your spirit, as you always do. Renew our hearts and our minds and plant your word deep within us. Enable us, Lord, to be faithful. Enable us to live according to your will and to do those things that you have called us to do. And grant us always the pleasure of serving you by serving others. And enable us once more, Lord, to hear your word and to be changed by it and drawn ever into your presence. This we do ask through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, says our colic today. Over in Hebrews, not what we read today, but from the beginning of the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, the writer says, Therefore we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. This is the Sunday right before Christ the King Sunday. I feel like I read somewhere, but I couldn't find reference to it this time while I was preparing this sermon, that um, some Lutherans call this Sunday Judgment Sunday. Judgment Sunday, right before you celebrate the return of Christ, right before you wrap up the church year and turn right around and go into Advent, the beginning of a new year, you talk about the judgment of God, you hear the judgment of God coming. And here in our passage from Mark, we hear about what is happening. All through chapter 13, Jesus is talking about, I believe, what is going to happen to the temple. His focus is not on some far-flung future, thousands of years away from where he is. But his focus is on the end of the age, nonetheless. Because the end of the age does not necessarily mean the end of the world as we know it. The end of the age is the wrapping up of a period of time in history. It is a wrapping up of the reality that has been true for a while, but then comes to a close. Great tumultuous events can mark the end of an age. I mean, we use it in our own regular parlance. We might talk about the Greek age was wrapped up when Rome conquered the Greeks. The Roman age ended when Rome was finally sacked for the last and final time at the end of the 5th century. The Byzantine age ended when Ottoman Turks invaded Byzantium and destroyed the city. These are events that mark the end of an age, an end of a people, an end of something great and glorious at one time that just wraps up and shrivels up and dies and comes to a catastrophic end. And I think that is ultimately what Jesus is getting across here today is that there's going to be a cataclysmic end to all things that the Jewish people understand. This temple that has been the center of your worship, that has been the center of your life, of everything you know about yourselves, is going to be wiped from the face of the earth. There at the beginning of chapter 13, as they were leaving the temple grounds, one of the disciples was like, look what beautiful stones and what beautiful buildings. 
And Jesus said, You see these great buildings. There will not be left here one stone unturned, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That's the reality is that this is all going to be wrapped up and ended soon. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus marked the absolute end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of the New. But there was an overlap that happened for about 40 years where the temple service still occurred, where the Jews still went to the temple and worshipped. They still celebrated Passover and all the various feasts over against what should have happened. The people remained in contempt of the work of the Lord in their midst. They remained in contempt of the redemption that was given to them. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at. He's writing to the Jewish people who have believed in Jesus who are being tempted to return back to the Jewish faith, to return and abandon who Jesus is, and to turn back to the old ways. But he says, the message declared by angels, that is, the old Mosaic covenant, proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. If that's true, if this lesser glorious thing turned out to be absolutely true, how can this great and glorious salvation that we've been given, how can we turn away? How can we escape if we neglect it? How can we escape a just retribution for turning away from the Lord when this is such a great salvation that has been given in Jesus? That is what is happening here in this passage is Jesus is warning the people and he's telling them what is going to happen in a few years. And so I want to look at two questions about this passage today. What is this passage about and what is its purpose? Now they're different questions, but they overlap with one another. They connect with one another, but they don't have the same precise answer. And so we're just going to start right here at Mark 13 verse 14. The reality is we're jumping into the middle of a bunch of statements by Jesus. As I was just saying, all of this is about the temple. Ultimately, it is about the temple and what is going to happen to it in 70 AD. Yes, Jesus talks about these weird and strange things. He talks about wars and tumultuous events all through this passage. And if you look in your Bible, it probably says signs of the end of the age. And we tend to jump to that conclusion that, oh, this is about the end of the world as we know it. But it's not. It's about the end of the world as the Jews knew it. As things are taken down, as things are attacked, as they are attacked for their rebellion. And so we hear in verse 14, as Jesus is wrapping up this first section of chapter 13, talking about all the things that are going to happen, the gospel being proclaimed to all nations, that the disciples are going to be brought to trial. They're going to be delivered over to the synagogues and to the judges that hate them. And that they are to trust in the Spirit. They're trusting the Holy Spirit to give them the words in that tumultuous moment when they are being delivered over to death. Christians will be hated for the sake of Jesus. But he says those who endure to the end will be saved. Those who hold out, those who push on forward, trusting and working and being faithful to who Jesus is will find salvation from all of these things. And in the midst of all that, he says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, and Mark inserts, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is the controlling verse for this whole section. This is what Jesus is pointing at. All of this, the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. There's all kinds of debate about this passage. 
I think ultimately though this abomination of desolation is revealed to us in Luke 21. Over in Luke 21, 20 through 21, Luke is recounting these very words of Jesus. He's talking about, he shows us a different perspective, a slightly different, a few different words from Jesus as he is capturing what Jesus said in this sermon that he is giving to his disciples. And he gives us a true hint. He says, Jesus says in Luke, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In Mark, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing, flee to the mountains. And Luke says, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, know that its desolation is coming, so therefore flee to the mountains. That this abomination of desolation involves these great Roman armies coming and surrounding the city of Jerusalem. The words between Mark and Luke's recounting are similar and of the same accent as we hear right now. That abomination of desolation involves those armies surrounding Jerusalem, preparing to destroy it, preparing to attack it, preparing to take it down. Like I said, we don't know precisely what this abomination of desolation exactly was in that moment. But we know it involved the armies coming to lay siege to Jerusalem and to invade. To understand that, let's just take a moment and hear some of the things that were happening during this time. In AD 66, the Jews went to war with Rome. They had gotten tired of Roman rule. They had limited some of their, they had limited their ability to do what they wanted. And they finally rebelled and turned against Rome, hoping that this was the time that God would come down and destroy all the Gentiles and free the Jewish people. That happened in 66 AD. By 70 AD, General Titus with his armies were surrounding Jerusalem around Passover. He trapped all the people who had swelled into the city to celebrate Passover. He trapped them in the city and laid siege to it. That is, he cut it off from everything. He cut it off from the world around and allowed no food or drink to enter into the city. That is what Luke is recording when he says the desolation of Jerusalem is about to happen when those armies surround the city. And when one sees that abomination, one should flee to the mountains. This is the siege of Jerusalem in the mind of Jesus. And it's not that far from where he is with his disciples. It's only about 40 years ahead that Jerusalem will be laid siege to and destroyed. So flee when you see these things beginning to happen. When you see the fall of Jerusalem about to occur, flee and run away. Run from all that is happening. We heard briefly a couple of words about the abomination of desolation in our words from Daniel today. He mentioned it a handful of other times, a couple of other times in his book, and ultimately most people see that as being primarily fulfilled in 167 B.C. At that time, the Jews were under the authority of the Greeks, of a fellow named Antiochus Epiphanes. And they had been fighting with him and upsetting him and pushing back against some of his desires. He wanted a total pagan country. He wanted to destroy everything that was Jewish about the Jewish people. And so he came in and laid siege to Jerusalem. And when he conquered Jerusalem, he walked up. He set up a false god there in the temple precincts. 
And then he sacrificed a pig on the bronze altar. Everyone concluded this is the primary fulfillment of what Daniel was talking about, the abomination of desolation coming into the temple and profaning it and desolating it and desecrating everything. It was such a powerful moment that it actually united the Jews together into a fervor that they would overthrow the Greeks and have about a hundred years of freedom to rule themselves, something that they hadn't had in hundreds of years. But here Jesus takes up that very language of the abomination of desolation once more. We hear about the wars with the Jews during this time. During those three and a half or so years from 66 AD until 70 AD, the Romans were pushing back and crushing the Jews all over the place. Just as the war was getting heated up, 50,000 Jews were slaughtered in the city of Alexandria, just put to death because they were just pushing back and they were doing what they had always done. That was one of the largest groups of Jews there in Alexandria throughout the ancient world, and 50,000 of them were killed. There was no mercy toward the old or the infants, Josephus tells us. The place overflowed with blood, to paraphrase him. Later on, there was a battle at the Sea of Galilee, and the people were trying to flee, and they were flying into, running into the water and trying to swim away, and the Romans assault, continued to assault them. Once more, Josephus, or one commentator, referred to it as a watery catacomb because the Romans once more ruthlessly slaughtered the people. They would cut off their heads and hands to keep them from swimming. They would throw spears at them to kill them in the midst of the water, such that one might see the lake all bloody and full of dead bodies, and a terrible stink arose. During the siege, Titus was catching and crucifying upwards of 500 Jews a day during that siege. The people were in such desperate straits that they were eating anything they could find, shoe leather, unclean animals that they would never touch, rotting animals, wisp of straw. And when it became utterly and totally desperate and extreme, they even committed hard acts of cannibalism against one another. And on top of that, there were Jewish zealots in the city, those who were really pushing for war against Rome, who were slaughtering multitudes of people because they weren't ready to fight Rome. They wanted to surrender. And so you had Jews killing Jews while Romans were killing Jews, and it was just this huge mess. And the abomination was gathering. The abomination was coming. The desolation was about to occur. And it came as Titus finally breached the walls because he gave them time to surrender. He didn't immediately surround the city and build his siege works. He gave them time and sent terms of surrender and they refused, but it allowed people who didn't want to be a part of it to run and escape. That is what many of the Christians did. That's what the Christians did. They ran from the city when they saw Titus, when they heard that he was wanting them to surrender. And so they fled the city because they knew the Jews would not back down. They knew the Jews were too hard-hearted to not fight. And so he breached the walls and his armies came in and they wiped out the city. They burned the city and left nothing undisturbed. And his soldiers carrying their standards with great eagles on top representing Caesar himself came and stabbed those standards into the temple precincts and they began sacrificing idols, sacrificing to Caesar. And there was the ultimate desolation, the desecration of the temple mound as it is being burned down. The soldiers are offering sacrifices to false gods, to the false lord of all, to a pagan emperor there in the temple. And thus, this is the fulfillment of that abomination of desolation. 
this is what this is all about. And you hear so much more. There's so many other things happening in this passage where he says, just flee, don't look back, run away when this abomination comes. If you're on the housetop, go down the outside stairs, leave everything in the house and run. If you're in the field working, leave your cloak. Don't go to the house to get it. And it's going to be so hard to get away that he says, alas, for the pregnant women, for those who are nursing infants, because they may not be able to get away very easily. Pray that it may not happen in winter. And it didn't. The disciples took that, those words to heart. Pray that it would not happen in winter, and it happened in the spring. It happened when the people were able to flee, when the Christians could run from the city easily. And they helped one another. They took care of those pregnant women, those nursing infants, and helped them to escape to the mountains far, far away from all that was happening. <coughs> and this is the wrapping up of the Old Covenant, the total destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple is all being wiped away because the new covenant had come. This was truly an end of the age. Jesus inaugurated the new covenant when he went to the cross, when he was resurrected, the very thing that the Jews would not receive, that so many Jews refused to accept. They pursued false Christs and false messiahs. They clung to the unlikely hope that God would rescue them as they were pursuing fake messiahs, ignoring the true messiah who had vanquished all things by his death and resurrection just a few decades earlier. He accomplished something new and they ignored it. They ignored all the prophecies surrounding Jesus and looked for others because Jesus died on a cross to accomplish the work of salvation. He didn't sweep through the world getting rid of the Gentiles and lifting up the Jews no, the Messiah went to the cross in order to make a new man, in order to make a new people that brought together the Jews and the Gentiles into one people before the Lord. That is what the Old Covenant was to give way to, the ultimate work of salvation in Jesus. But the people persisted in their old ways, and thus they were judged. Thus they were wiped out. They were beaten down. They were destroyed. The temple was destroyed, its sacrifices destroyed, because Jesus had come. He had died, he had been raised, and he had ascended to his rightful place before God the Father at his side on the throne. The Mosaic covenant was finished at that moment. During that time of death, resurrection, and ascension, the Mosaic covenant was finished and fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus. But the outward ways persisted. And it had to be wiped out. And thus, this harsh judgment comes upon the people. It came that they would be able to understand that God was done with the old covenant. He was done with the old ways of doing things. He was done with all of that because he had fulfilled everything in Jesus. And that is what this passage is talking about. And he says, be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. He's talking to his disciples and telling them, you're, all, you're still going to be around when this happens. This is not some far future event. This is something that is going to happen in your lifetime. So be on guard. Warn the people. Help them to flee. I've told you all these things beforehand. So what's the purpose of this passage? How does it help us today? We hear what it's about, that it's about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, but what does that matter today, 2,000 years later almost? 
It matters because so often in Scripture you have prophecy that gets fulfilled, but then it has ramifications. It has applications that flow out of that fulfillment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This stands as a warning for us today to remember what Jesus has done, His death and resurrection on the, through the cross, through the grave, His overcoming of Satan and hell and death itself. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? We hear what happened to those who rejected Jesus in the first century. What will happen to us will be worse in the long run because we have a fuller, more understandable picture of who Jesus is. We have Holy Scripture itself working in us and on us. So how shall we escape? Many Jews in that day did escape from these things that happened. Remember what happened at Pentecost? Peter confronted the people with the reality of what they had done in general, that they had caused the death of the Messiah. And they were ripped to the hearts. They were torn. And they repented. 3,000 men and their families repented of those actions. And many Jews throughout that first century were saved from this destruction that came. Because the disciples went out and faithfully proclaimed the work of Jesus, not themselves. They didn't proclaim their good deeds, their good works. They proclaimed the work of Jesus alone. All that he had accomplished through his death and resurrection for them. And that is what we are to look to now, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And celebrate what he has done and make him known. To bring people an escape to give to people an escape from the destruction that is to come one day when Jesus returns. For when He returns, He will undo all the evil in this world. Amen. He will overcome all the evil in this world, all the sin in this world. And those who have not trusted in Him will be counted in with all that evil and that sin. They will be judged and removed from His gracious and loving presence. That is just simply the reality. Those who do not want Jesus will not be allowed to have Him in the end because they chose not to have Him now. It's not injustice when that happens. That is God's perfect justice, giving people what they want at the end. People who have clung to the old ways, who have clung to their old behaviors, people who have clung to the old sin nature that could be overcome in Jesus by turning to Him in faith will be removed from that gracious presence that is available from now into eternity. For those who trust and love the Lord. And that turns its eye back on us that we are to be stirred up by these things, to be on guard against sin overcoming us once more, to not let the abominations that are around us in this world overtake us, to turn to the Lord and confess our sins, confess our misdeeds, and to make known the work of Jesus always. We are called into making Jesus known through our words, through our love, through our care, through our mercy, through our compassion. We call out to Jesus to empower us to do that, to send us forth every week, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. One of our prayers says, send us out into this world now that you have filled us with your grace, filled us with your spirit, and filled us with yourself, Jesus. Guide us into this world to do all that you call us to do. Stir up our wills, O Lord, so that we will go out and do the good works you have called us to do. So that we may be rewarded when Jesus returns. Yes, there is a great reward for those 
who have served Jesus, who have loved him, who have followed after him, who have done the things he has called us to do, whether small things or big things, as we are faithful, he will reward us. And the ultimate reward is his presence always. His presence, his grace, his love being poured upon us Amen. and us being renewed in such a way that we can finally return that love in the fullness that we are, to, that we are called to do. So may we, hearing these horrible things that have happened in the past, take to heart the word of the Hebrews, the word of the writer to the Hebrews. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? As he did say in our passage today, you did endure hardships, but don't throw away your confidence because you have a better and abiding possession. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. And our souls will be preserved to the end as we look to Jesus and trust him and go out and live faithfully before him, knowing all that he has done for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.